0: This is the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget that you can download or subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen to WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. Now, here's your Canes Corner Podcast host, Adam Gold. Welcome to another edition of the Canes Corner Podcast. Adam Gold, Alec Campbell, we're your tour guides for the entire season. And uh, we'll knock this out. Today We're recording this, by the way, Wednesday, uh, so we are on full Scott Darling watch, as he will skate, not skate, I guess, play goal for the Charlotte Checkers, and they are in... He will be on skates. He'll be on skates in uh, Utica, taking on the Utica Comets. No idea whether or not this is going to be his only conditioning start, but he is fully healthy and ready to go. We'll talk about Darling and, and the other goaltenders in a minute. All right, let me uh let's start here. Five, three, and one. They're on a one hundred point pace. Nobody should be upset about that. Uh but uh give me your general impressions of the team as a whole as we sit here uh one ninth into the season. Um
1: I guess the word that I would use through this many games so far, what is it, nine games, you said nine games. right? Nine games. Is pleased, I guess, is what I would say.
0: Like pleased, um, you know, nothing I, wrong I, with being pleased. Well,
1: I'm not going to go out of my way. I don't feel that that's necessary in order to be like overly praiseworthy. Right. Because I think we've seen the good and the bad of this team so far this year. I thought it was really good for them to get out on the start that they got out on yeah. four zero and one for multiple reasons. I mean. You look at the way historically they've started seasons, and so they kind of were able to get off on the right foot. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to play the same kind of schedule, I don't think, this year that they've had to play in recent years in terms of going immediately on the road for like a six-game road trip or whatever, the state fair trip that they've had to do. So, the schedule, I think, has been a little bit uh, more favorable, but they've had to play some pretty good teams so far, and I thought in those games they've held up nicely including the second game of the season when they had to go on the road after what turned out to be a pretty tough loss to take in the season opener at home in overtime to the islanders they go on the road and they beat the columbus blue jackets thought they played uh, they played winnipeg tough you know i never thought that they had control of the game against tampa but they hung the, they hung yeah. in there they were they were competitive there Minnesota same thing they got the big overtime win so they've they've shown that they can hang at least with some of the better teams in the league but then they hit the skids a little bit and they went on the three game road uh, the three game uh, losing streak in which there were other times during that streak where i thought that they were pretty good and just didn't get outcomes but You know, I think it's been a a good start for them so far, and I'm pleased with what I've seen for the most part. There's still plenty of things that they need to work out. The special teams are certainly glaring at this moment, and I think part of that's because the five-on-five game has kind of slowed down a little bit, and that has further illuminated the issues on the special teams. And, you know, that's I've said this a lot of times. That's what sports are about, man. How do you mitigate your deficiencies? You know they were able to get away with some of the special teams issues mm-hmm. they've had in the past because they were so good five on five to start the year, and so it wasn't as noticeable. But then, as soon as those five on five numbers started to slip a little bit during that three game losing streak, and they weren't getting help on the power play, and they were allowing goals on the penalty kill, those things were you
0: know very noticeable. Here, here's what's in they four zero and one start power play's terrible, then. You have the three-game losing streak, Winnipeg, Tampa, and Colorado. And for the record, those teams right now are a combined 17-4-4. So maybe, just maybe, degree of difficulty. Sure. Ratchet it up. And obviously, by saying just maybe, obviously – You're playing Winnipeg in that game uh, until late in the third period. They were not necessarily better than Winnipeg, although they were in the first period. But that was an even game. Could have won it, could have at least gotten a point. Make a mistake along the wall, all of a sudden it's in the back of your net. You end up uh, getting nothing out of that. Tampa, they were second best. To me, that was the first game all year where they were the second best team on the ice and it was clear. Even though they had a great first period from that point on and even toward the end of the first period, Tampa took control of that game. Uh, and Colorado, I think, just was a flat effort for me, And whether it was three days off after the game in Tampa uh, because they were off Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday before playing a weird afternoon game on Saturday during the State Fair. I'm not necessarily blaming that. There are a lot of factors for why they didn't play all that well. They just didn't forecheck. They didn't do all the things that they were doing well, but the bottom line is they played three really good teams, or at the very least, because we don't know about Colorado yet, uh, they played at least three very good teams at that moment. Colorado has been outstanding in their top line of Rantanen, McKinnon, and Landeskog is as good a top line right now as there is uh, in the NHL. But the thing for me uh, is that their 5-on-5 game really looks very similar other than the Colorado game and the Tampa game. I thought their 5-on-5 their game has been very repeatable. They just have not gotten the results out of the five-on-five situations. They didn't get it at Winnipeg, didn't get it against uh, Detroit on Monday night, but against the other teams when they were 4-0-1, again, also take the Islander game out, which they were lucky to even get a point out of, even though they were the better team, uh, they were they were successful five-on-five. The pa- The power play and the penalty kill actually won them a hockey game. Because they don't win the game because they weren't scoring, but they score scored two beautiful power play goals. Uh the one with uh with the tic-tac-toe passing Aho beautiful. to Zickoff to Furlin uh was dynamite. Uh and then the other with Williams and Falk playing a two man game up uh toward the uh toward the point, with Williams taking the defense down, then whipping the uh the b- the behind the back pass to Falk for a one timer with a net front presence which was kind of missing for a few uh for a few games. Two beautiful power play goals. Uh, The penalty kill was exceptional against Detroit, who had, by the way, for people who put so much stock in power plays, Detroit was like sixth and seventh on the power play and the penalty kill, respectively, on the year, and had one win. I know people want to say, well, that's the reason why they lost. They were 4-0-1 with the same power play and the same penalty kill. Right. It's not why you win and lose games in the NHL. When you get to the playoffs, yeah, it's more it's more ne- necessary in the postseason. But it did win them a game, and when your power play and your penalty kill is laboring, it te- it does tend to seep into other elements of your game. So i i was was good to see that it really didn't impact their five on five play aside from those two games. Um, no, but, I, but I've loved the way they have played I love the aggression that they have played uh, they're still giving up way too many I mean really good chances yes but
1: I think well, they're going to do that again again it's about how you mitigate it you know they scored 21 goals in the four game winning streak that they had <laughs> right. and then they scored seven goals in the four games after that so to your point about to your point about the the special teams and the five on five and all that, you know, it doesn't really matter where it comes right, as long true. as you're getting them, right? Right? So you got to get them somewhere. I just think it's interesting that all of a sudden you play better when you're at even strength. You know, I mean, the would pa- you rather have a
0: better five on five game or a better power play? I'd rather have a better five on five game. Okay, you play yeah. much more of the game at even strength. Yes, <laughs> typically that's right. the case. And if 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 you're only getting your goals, if the if you know. A sizable chunk of your goals are coming with the man advantage, and a game goes by with there are where you you're never on the power play. Right, you're kind of lost.
1: And and then there were situations though where you know I forget what game it was where they were like one for nine yeah. on the power play. That to me is more of an issue than maybe the overall power play. Is that you've gotten you've spent at this point nearly a period with an extra player on yeah. the ice and only mm-hmm. got one tally out of it. Yeah. And so you got to take – like, it just – to me, it just becomes interesting that you do better when there's more people on the ice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you the, have an advantage. Theoretically, you theoretically, should. Theoretically, <laughs> it should be easier for you right. to move the puck, get it into your zone, recover it, pass it around, get shots off, those types of things. And it, it just hasn't been the case. But, you know, like you said, it's been a t- it's been – they've played some good teams – you know, even in that Colorado in the Colorado game where they looked flat, um, they they were good until the end. They were hanging there until the end when they, when they allowed the the empty or they they allowed uh, uh, that last goal on the on the doorstep, and then they got an empty netter. So the score looks worse than it was. Same in Tampa. You know, they got the empty netter at the game. Score right. makes it look worse than it was. So in those games where they weren't in necessarily control of the game, they were still there with a chance to Absolutely. win at the end of the game. I think that's a good sign for a team. If you're gonna be a good team, then you're gonna to have to battle through some of those moments where you're not playing your best hockey every single night. And you know, it doesn't get any easier here coming up either because <laughs> they've got they got San Jose on Friday and they've got Boston next week, and sandwiched between that is a team they've already lost to and right. the Islanders.
0: So you know, a team, a team with a tough. high level of offense. Sure, Islanders are a pretty good offensive club. Uh, all right, let's let, let's move on through some uh, some things that we were looking at before the season. Do you realize that seven? Well, when Nick Waugh plays against San Jose on Friday, he'll be the seventh rookie to play for this team this year. Or by the way, all forwards. Seven rookie forwards uh, will have all played. I mean, it's easy to say that the best rookie so far has been Warren Fogle. Uh, The impact, he has had the greatest impact on the game uh, of all of their rookies, and that includes the number 2 pick, uh, Andre Svechnikov. What what are your thoughts? What what are your impressions so far of Fogle?
1: Oh, I love his game, no doubt about it. And I think it's good for him that he's been able to play on a line with – Justin Williams and Jordan Stahl for the entirety of the season and I think a lot of the lines for the most part have been kind of balanced in that way where you have some veteran guys playing with some young guys but it just seems like the right place for him like if you look at the personalities of the lines you know the Ajo Teravainen line even though Michael Furland is there he's, he's actually shown more finesse in his game <laughs> with his scoring ability leads the team in scoring so far then you know maybe you you knew him to be beforehand because he does bring that physical presence but then you look at that second line where it's Fogel Justin Williams and Stall and to me that's just a workhorse line yeah, absolutely i mean just uh, jordan Stahl's you know a tremendous defensive hockey player and he's been that and you know a bag of potato chips all year <laughs> long in that respect his so that's just that's sort of the working man's line to me justin williams i mean we've set said everything there can be to be said about Justin I mean he's like just the consummate professional not the flashiest guy but does everything right rarely puts you in a bad spot hustles all the time and so that those types of things I think fit what Fogle does well which is play a physical brand of hockey he's you know plays with his hair on fire Mm -hmm. every single game He's, he's had some
0: lulls here I think recently more so but yeah, that doesn't not, mean, not in Detroit. He was. I thought he was um, great in Detroit. Well, I mean, yeah. my well, point. Right. My
1: point was going to be that doesn't mean he he wasn't you know playing poorly. It's just that he came out with such a fervor to start the year that you know now now it looks uh, a little bit like he's falling off. But he's but he's but he's been good. Um, so I love the I love the style of play, and I think that that's the way that this team really needs to play. Every time we we talk about sort of the 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 passing, you know the, the loose loose with the puck, passing whether it's stick handling or passing, those types of things. The one thing that I think brings this team back to uh, equilibrium, if you will, is once they start playing the way they did at the beginning of the year and I think everything follows after that, which is fast paced, energetic, add a little bit of physicality mm-hmm. to your style. and that's what Fogel brings and I think if if everyone does that, the rest of the stuff will come for them. I think that's that's just the basis of this game in general. If you play hard, if you play fast, you play physical. You know, you're going to create opportunities for you, and all the other sort of things fall into place.
0: And it's interesting the uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Everybody, you, you talk about Crosby, you talk about Malkin, or it's Kessel, and they have this—they do it right. kind of in a, a very high-level way. But if if you think about I what I think makes the Penguins really good, it's those other players. You know the uh, the Rusts, the mm-hmm. the Sheeries, the uh, the Gensels who play at a high rate of speed. Uh, not necessarily a pretty game, right. But just get in your way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, that's that's what takes the Penguins from being a pretty team that's obviously very effective to being an elite team. Sure, I think you you need that element. You got to have those ancillary pieces. Absolutely, otherwise
1: you're just top heavy, and you end up a team kind of like what the hurricanes have been where it's like okay there's one or two guys out here that can flash at times you know in yep. the past it was a guy like Jeff Skinner who you know he could go on a run five and, goals sc- by
0: the way for the sabers so and far and
1: score you a bunch of goals but then who's supplementing that afterwards because those guys can't do right. it every single night so you got to have some of those ancillary pieces come into play
0: uh Rod Brendamore said of Warren Fogel before the season starts said well he's just he's a hurricane Mm-hmm. Because that's the way fo- – that Rod Brindamore's vision of what, what he wants from not a Sebastian Ajo, not an Andrei Svechnikov, not a Martin Natchez when he comes back, but for the garden variety, the the prototypical hurricane, it's Fogle. It's physical, it's smart, mm-hmm. it's fast, and it's in your face. And these elements – and again, I keep bringing the name Eric Cole up yeah. – Warren Fogle, as a rookie – Reminds me a ton of Eric Cole as a rookie. Brenda Moore said he's he's probably more physical now than Cole was. Yeah, I think he called Cole soft. <laughs> I actually I remember Cole as being more physical then, but maybe I uh, maybe I'm clouded I'm just messing with it. Right, I know that, but I I, I I I maybe I'm just clouded by uh, what Cole became. But Eric Cole was a similar player. He was in your face. He was fast. He was relentless. And to me, Fogle kind of epitomizes what Rod Brendamore's vision is for this team. Uh, A couple of the other rookies. Svechnikov has shown at times. I think he did at Detroit. And maybe Mm -hmm. it's because his brother... Uh, you know, is part of the Red Wing system, and I believe his his uh his parents were probably there. Uh, but Svechnikov has shown flashes. Could just be Detroit too. Could be they're not could, very good. Could just
1: be it. things seemed much easier in Detroit <laughs> than they did in the couple games before that. I, there's no question
0: about it. Uh, but we haven't seen consistently good play from Svechnikov, and I think it's funny if you if you if if you take the pulse of Hurricanes fans on Twitter, after games, uh, or especially when Svechnikov does well. Oh, man, Uh, they they got to get this guy more ice time. And then you talk to people around the team. Yeah, well, he's still doing this. He's still doing this. He's still doing this. He's still doing this. And Svechnikov plays about half the game like an uber prospect, and the other half the game he plays like, I'm not really sure what to do. Uh, And Un- until that balance becomes more the former and less the latter, it's hard. And you see what, what Moore is doing with Svechnikov. Um, late in games, he essentially eliminates the fourth line. Right. And that's what he was doing. That's why Natchez had to go back to Charlotte to play. Uh, he eliminates the fourth line, and Brock McGinn is taking half of Svechnikov's shifts mm-hmm. in, the th- in the third period. Because uh, McGinn has played well. Not great, although we played great against Detroit. Best yeah. game I thought by not even close. Easily his best he, game. So, but uh, McGinn has been taking those uh, those shifts, and uh, and Svechnikov has played less in the third period because you get time. We can't afford mistakes right. in the third period. All games are tight. There are, there are no blowout games really in the NHL. You have to be able to be smart in the third period, and so Brendan Moore's kind of mitigating, to use your word, mitigating the third periods. By saying, All right, Brock, you're with uh Martinook and Walmark, and we're gonna get to Jordan Martinuk uh in a minute. What about Walmark, Zikhoff, uh Natchez? We'll leave Bishop and Wah out of this. We've only seen Bishop for two games. He was uh relatively nondescript, played better in the second one. We haven't seen Wah yet this year, although I thought he had a I thought they both had a good training camp. Uh but what are what are your thoughts on uh on the the other four? Svetchikov, Walmart, Zikoff, and Natures I mean Walmark, I'm
1: I'm a big fan of Walmark. Um Know, he does have it, to score a little bit. He's only scored one goal right. it's a big so goal. far this
0: year. Was, it uh, was that in the Ranger game?
1: Uh, I, honestly, I can't remember at this point. But I like his game. Like I think he's a really smart player. Yeah. And I think he has maybe a little more potential than he's ever really been given credit for. Um, I think he's good defensively. I think he gets himself in good good positions on the defensive end but then i think he's crafty offensively too so you know i think those those things are going to come for him if he keeps playing the same way that he's playing you know some some of that probably the 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 lack of goal scoring probably has something to do with the people that he's playing with too because he's playing on uh with with some young guys um so i i like his game in terms of Zikoff. I thought Zikoff probably played his best game the other night in Detroit. Again, how much yes. of that is because of Detroit and how much of it is because of him? Probably a little bit of both. You know, I thought Detroit, you know, the games, the, the, the Avalanche game before that and the Tampa game before that, I thought it was so noticeable about how much those teams kept the Hurricanes from getting to the interior of the ice. And... The Hurricanes were able to do that much, much easier against because, Detroit the right. other night. Now, I'm sure there's some of it that's about the willingness of, a, of the Hurricanes to yep. get to that portion of the ice as much as it is to the other team keeping them there. But the Hurricanes did a much better job of that, and that fits kind of Zikov's play a little bit better because I think the closer to the net he is, the better of a player he is. I don't I don't think he's ever gonna be the guy that's gonna stick handle around guys no. <laughs> and then go for, you know, a pretty goal. So I'm still waiting for him to to get that, to get get the scoring down, but the the one, two, three, tic-tac-toe type play on the power play from Zekov was was great with him down low. I like him a lot. Natcheus, I don't know. I, I guess I'm nonplussed so far on Natchez, and I know that he's playing A tough position, first year in professional hockey. You know, John Forzen, I thought, made an interesting point about the decision to send him down. He thought that the right thing to do was to let him sit in the press box for a game. That was the next step to letting him figure things out. Go upstairs and watch the game from upstairs, then get back in the game. So you know, I I I don't I don't necessarily know what to make of of his game yet. I mean, it it was kind of interesting to me that he scored a
0: goal and then got sent down the next day. You know, but he, but uh, in the game he scored right. It was in Tampa. He barely played in the third period, and for for Rod, it wasn't. It, he was not sent down because he was not playing well. He was sent down because for there are two reasons. One, playing center. In this league, as a rookie, and I think he's still, even though they say it's not about strength, it's about strength to a certain extent. But playing center in this league as a rookie is hard. Mm-hmm. And if you can't be trusted on the ice because you're making two mistakes, you're being pushed off pucks, uh, things like this at that position. Well, you, then, then playing is a problem. Sitting in the press box doesn't doesn't help that. Right. He, according to Moore, and I don't think it was entirely his decision either. I think Tom Dundon and Don Waddell also played a role in this. I think they wanted to see Natchez just play a lot of minutes. Yeah. And so I, the understanding is that he was going to go to Charlotte and play 18 to 20 minutes a night, essentially be a top line, maybe a number two center uh, there and get tons of ice time. So he needed to be that way. Uh, And then just kind of become a little bit more familiar uh, with the North American game because he played his entire career in the Czech Republic. Uh, And then they don't anticipate this being a long stint. You know, a couple of weeks, three Mm -hmm. weeks, depending as long as he's playing well. And then come back up and then be able to get on the ice and play 10, 12 minutes a night. Because essentially, he's the fourth line center. Yeah, He's the fourth best center that they have. Uh, So it wasn't about wasn't about punishing. It was about he needs to play, and they can't play him enough. And Brindamore was telling me this. He's like, every time I put him on the ice, uh, you know, like Tampa, they're sending Stamkos over the wall. Right. Or, or they were sending JT Miller, who's a very difficult matchup for a guy like Natchez because of the way he plays, aggressive, physical style. I mean, it's really hard for uh, for Natchez to deal with that. So he said, I just couldn't. When I On the road, when I don't have the last change— you know, I throw Natchez on the ice and there you see it. Right. They're coming at him with uh with with, with all stars. Yeah,
1: like all of a sudden you're you have to take a defensive zone face off and crunch time against Stamkos. Right. And you know, that's when nature stays in the face off circle because he continuously <laughs> gets kicked out.
0: Right. Which so, may not be bad. He's, so he's, he's under forty percent.
1: So they're gonna have he's gonna have to figure <laughs> that part out of it too at some point. So maybe maybe the AHL is the place to go for him for that. Just for a although, little bit. Although the, 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 the face off specialist is up here. With Rod Brindamore, who still retains his faceoff coaching duties after practice, still does it,
0: still yeah. does it. By the way, you know J- Jordan Stahl has taken taken more faceoffs than anybody in the league, one more faceoff than anybody in the league. Uh, and the other night he was, I, I think this was in the loss to Colorado, twenty of twenty uh, what? Yeah, that's that. Forget it. Yeah, that's insane. insane. All right, um, the new guys. We'll get to Dougie Hamilton in a second. Michael Ferland and Jordan Martinook. And there are different levels of expectations and different levels of production with those two guys. No way they anticipated. those two guys would be playing uh, ferlin played top line uh, in the, on the top line in Calgary last year uh, with uh, Monahan and uh, Gudreau. Martinook was kind of in and out of the NHL lineup. How? Jordan Martinook can play. Mm -hmm. Could can flat-out play, kills penalties, has a little bit of a scoring touch. But those two guys have been really unsung heroes. And I guess Ferland's kind of sung. He leads the team in goals. Uh, Those guys have been great. Yeah, I mean, Martinuk and that fourth line, although
1: they've played third-line minutes or played up a line, I guess, the last couple of games. Oh, yeah. They've already produced, I think, more than last year's fourth line did. Right. So you talk about ancillary scoring and ancillary production – those guys are giving it to you. Furland, I mean, I, I don't know how you can not like what Furland brings. Now, he did have the one costly penalty at, Guess uh, the Islanders. against the Islanders, right, that put the Hurricanes in a tough spot at the very end of the game, right? Isn't that what happened? He got yep. you got penalized, and then they started the overtime. Four on three. Four on three, right. That's what happened, or, or three on two or whatever it was.
0: It should be three on two, but it's four on yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, four <laughs> on three. That's how they do it.
1: But, you know, look. He's scored goals. He brings a physical presence. He's not scared of anyone. No. Um, uh, you know, I joked about this, but I, you know, the guy I think eats a bowl of broken glass for <laughs> breakfast every day. I think he just whips out a new box of light bulbs and eats them with milk every morning and just eats them. And you know, he's you fun- wouldn't use milk. He's fu- I would, would No, I would eat it dry. I don't eat. <laughs> I don't eat cereal with milk. He's fun to watch and practice too. He yeah. always has a lot of energy i feel like he's always kind of razzing guys a little bit he's always uh he always has a smile he's always trying to play games Mm -hmm. you know so he's been a fun player to have around and a different element to this team that i think's been interesting i mean you know the other night the other day he made two two hits in a row somebody tried to come after him and that was just a lost cause for (laughs) i think it was eric johnson for Colorado, who tried to come after him, and that was a bad idea for him. <laughs> so uh, yes. he, he's been fun to watch, man. And you know, he, he's—I remember when we we had him on the the show, Adam and Joe show, and he was like, "I don't, I don't fight. I don't know what you're talking about." Right? Remember? <laughs> I think he was slow playing that.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> and he was like, "I don't, I don't know who you're talking about." So he's he's been fun. I like him. Uh, absolutely. And what? And you know, it's interesting. Last year it was all about Ajo and Teravainen. Uh, that combination can't break up that combination can't break up that combination. I think it's better for Teravainen than it is for Aho. Uh, although in the preseason, Aho was playing poorly until they put Teravainen on his right side. With all of that said, I think the better combination is Aho and Furland. Uh, they have already formed chemistry. I don't believe people thought that Furland had this level of skill. Mm-hmm. Um, you can score, you know, twenty goals in a season uh, without necessarily being a highly skilled player. I've seen, I mean, I'm not trying to disparage Chad LaRose here, but Chad LaRose once scored 20 goals in a year. You can do You can score 20 goals by just by sheer effort. Michael Furland has ability. And he is the kind of, I'm not going to call him a tough guy because he's not a tough guy. He's a physical player. He's the type of physical player that all great teams want because he can he, he can be physical. He can be an agitator. But at the same time, you can't sleep on him because he can beat you. Right. And he has scored. Look, the power play goal he just scored against Detroit. I mean, that's a quick release and an accurate shot inside the post. I mean, he has – he's got six goals. I mean, Ajo with with a quick pass to him for the only goal they scored against uh, Colorado. Right? It was the Ajo pass to Furlan. That was in tight. And that's – you know – these are the type of things that he is capable of doing that just another otherwise physical ornery player right. isn't, and I think he adds so much. Um, Tavo, by the way, you know it'd be interesting. He's to played
1: see. much better. He, I mean, he has eight points on the year. That's 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 good. I think he's benefited from that line for sure. Yeah. It's kind of a weird scenario because. You know, if you take him off the line with Ajo, what then does Ajo become? But it'd be curious to see what Taravainen is
0: elsewhere because he's been kind of here and there
1: for me so far this
0: year. They have to, at some point, they're going to think about a contract. It's too hesitant. For, for him beyond the year. Uh, right now, I'd be more interested in re signing Michael Furland, who will be an unrestricted free agent yeah. after the year than I would be Tavo Taravainen. Not that I don't like Tevo Taravainen. Uh, I also think that if Svechnikov figures it out this year, I would not be surprised if Svechnikov is up with Aho and Furland uh, at some point. Uh, Calvin DeHans playing much better. He's had a couple of squirrely games, and I think he got off to a little bit of a slow start. I mean, I don't think I'm crazy in wondering when we're going to see the elite Dougie Hamilton, because we haven't really seen it. Um, you know, he hasn't been utilized enough on the power play for my money. Agree. Um, But I also think that you kind of earn that spot by playing better five-on-five, and I don't think he's played really well five-on-five yet. He's done some good things. Not to say that Dougie Hamilton has not done some good things. Uh, We're just still waiting for Hamilton to adjust to his surroundings, I guess, Uh, because, I mean, he's just been okay, I guess, at at this point. I, I would agree with that three points so
1: far on the season you know I I liked Dougie the first time I saw him play I thought he was tremendous especially seeing him on the power play with Justin Falk I liked right. the I liked the idea and the combination um, of having two defensemen especially those two because it kind of allows Falk to just kind of hang out and yes lurk around the left circle and be the big shot that he is mm-hmm. Which is cool. And you know, they've they've kind of put him in that same position, even though Dougie Hamilton's not running that unit. A lot of times it's been Tavo Teravanin at the point. Yeah. Who's a good puck handler and a good passer. So in essence it's sort of the same thing, but for whatever reason, it hasn't worked as well. So I'd like to see them get back to that to be honest with you because that's Hamilton where, and Falk I'd like to see Hamilton and Falk I back like on that. the top power play unit I, Yeah, personally, I definitely like that so I'd like to see that happen again I'd just like to see him become more of a focus on the power play mm-hmm. you know he's found time here on the second unit recently right but it's the second unit and they're, you know, they, they don't get as much time. So I'd like to see him get elevated a little more. And, you know, I still think that that's probably going to happen at some point. I agree. I and mean,
0: I actually think they'll go back to Hamilton and Falk. Yeah. Because one, the thing I believe that that unit gives you, because you could play a Hamilton at the top of the umbrella, and Falk at the left, uh, you know, above the left faceoff circle mm-hmm. uh, is just such a dangerous shooter. Right. Uh, I think that element is really good. Falk at the top of the umbrella, to me, not nearly as good. Agree. I think Falk gets his shot blocked as much as anybody I've ever seen. Well, he's he's not a good skater, and he's not really
1: a great handler. So it's right. tough for him to create space for himself to get that shot off. Someone else has to create it for well, him.
0: Williams did on the power play goal against Detroit. So Williams made that play,
1: right? So so that's why you need a Tavo or a Dougie Hamilton running the point up there. You know, if you got if you got Hamilton. And Falk and, and Zekov and Aho and who else would would finish out that that first well, power Furland. play unit? Furland Yeah. You know, that'd be a good power play unit. So I'd like to see that. But yeah, overall, you know, I haven't, I've been, again, I guess nonplussed would be the word You'll that I would it. use again for, for Hamilton. But he's such a high-level yeah. player that it's going to come for him at mm-hmm. some point. I think it's just mostly a matter of comfortability.
0: All right. Uh... Goaltending. Mm. We haven't seen Scott Darling again. We're recording this Wednesday. He's going to play in a uh, AHL game uh, tonight in Utica, New York. Uh, hopefully, Scott will play well. Hopefully, he'll come out of it healthy. Whether or not he needs another um, conditioning start or not before returning to the team, he's active. So it's, there's there's a limit to how much you can condition, uh, and then he'll come back to the team. And I think Forslund has told us. John Forslund has said that. Wouldn't be surprised if he starts against the San Jose Sharks, depending on how he comes out of Wednesday's game. Uh, So the two goalies we've seen, Peter Mrazic, Curtis McElhinney. What do you think?
1: Uh, I feel similarly about both of them, I think. Um, I was impressed with McElhinney early, especially considering the circumstances under which he's playing. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens Once Darling does come back, I also think it's interesting. Speaking of Darling, you know what happens if Darling has a bad outing tonight, right? You know what happens with that. John Forslund, I asked John Forslund that the other night. He says he he thinks he still comes back anyways to to the team, um, to 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 the big league team. So we'll see we'll see what what happens with that. But in terms of the other two, you know, they're. They've both been good, very good at times. They've both had some moments when they've wanted some back, and I think they've been putting a bunch of bad spots again mm-hmm. on a lot of situations. The defensive unit is allowing a lot of grade-A chances. You know, its I was thinking about this the other night when I was watching the game, the Detroit game. Even Detroit got out on a bunch of them. Tons. You know, there were a bunch of times... Detroit didn't register a shot on goal until about 15 minutes into the first period. It, it was actually
0: at 6, uh, with 6.30 left of, of the first period. But That was their first shot on goal. But there were some situations early in the game
1: where it's kind of incredible that they didn't get a shot on net, yeah. is the, kind of the way that I felt about it. Missed the goal that a few somehow times. Somehow the Hurricanes got bailed out of a situation where, situation where they had to see a shot on goal because there were some moments where... They kind of let those and, – and but when I watch the Hurricanes play, they don't get out on as many of those situations as they allow, seemingly to me. I agree. You know, and so I start to wonder to myself, like, you know, is this sort of a a, th- a normal thing that teams do allowing this many kind of grade A <laughs> possibilities, or, or is it not? Because I don't see us getting them. Correct. You know? But –
0: well they, did, they they got three breakaways against
1: Colorado went 0 for three. And they're gonna you know, they're gonna give those up. That's part of the game. And the goaltenders are gonna have to come up with some of those saves. And so far I think McElhaney and Mrazic have made their share of difficult yeah. saves this year. They can't make all of them, right? But um so overall I feel I feel okay about two, both of them. I thought Murazik played pretty well in Detroit the other night. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a little hesitant about giving Scott Darling the start against San Jose. I mean, here you are with a guy who uh, hasn't played an NHL game yet this regular season, especially if he has a bad game in Utica. Definitely don't want to start him then. Against a team who is very, very dangerous, high-level, elite-caliber mm-hmm. team who's searching for a Stanley Cup. Given what we know about Scott Darling, you know, is it is it, you know, it's it's that it's sort of that chicken or egg situation. You start you you start darling there. If he has a great outing against a really good team, boom, confidence booster. Right. But if you start him there and he gets smoked <laughs> and you have to pull him after a, a period, then what does that do for him? Right. You know. Versus Peter Mrazek, who for me earned that start with the way he played in Detroit the other night, yeah. and has been playing NHL hockey so far this year. I'd almost feel more comfortable giving Mirzic the start on Friday because I think he's been good enough so far this year.
0: I'm going to judge it, but really, I mean, we've only seen 9 games and Mirzic has played 5 and Macaleny's played 4, if I am uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh McElhinney against Colorado? Just okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, shoot. first goal can't allow. I thought first one was on him. Yeah. I
1: thought the second one what was the second one now? I can't remember.
0: second one was another in uh, in tight play. I thought the second one was more of a breakdown than the first one. The first one he gave up, uh, it was too much. I mean, I know it was five hole, but he also the short side was also available. Yeah, that's, so Landis God could have put it anywhere. Right.
1: That was one I said all along he wanted that one back. Yeah. Middle one, whatever. Third one, great play by McKinnon. Absolutely. I mean, McKinnon, that was an absolute
0: snipe job yes. that McElhaney had zero chance on. Uh, again, not, not blaming him at all. Uh, but Mrazik's last three starts, Winnipeg, Tampa, and uh, Detroit, to me, all very good. And I think he was, considering he didn't see much uh, uh, action until late in the first period, the fact that he did not give up a goal in the first period with so many good chances, including a breakaway uh, with Abdul-Kanur, uh to me said a lot about Mrazik's ability to stay sharp without seeing something. Mm-hmm. So I, I I liked that game enough. Uh, McElhinney, I think, you know, really good his first couple. And, you know, kind of what he is, a 35-year-old backup uh, in the other two. So to me, I do think you keep McElhinney around until you know more about Darling. But I also think they have the luxury of, if you've been paying attention to what's going on in Charlotte, Alex Nedeljkovic has played well enough, where at the very least, he could be your backup if you needed him to be your backup. So, I don't. They're not going to keep three goalies very long because you don't. It's hard to practice with three goalies. Right. So, to me, depending on what happens with Darling and Utica, they're bringing him back up. Whatever. I think they'll keep McIlhenny around for a week, maybe two weeks. And then ultimately they'll put him on waivers as long as Mrazek is continuing to play well, and I think John Forsen told us this before the season. He thinks Mrazek is their best option to be a number one goalie, and maybe he is. With Morazic and Darling in a more familiar role, backing up, take salaries out of the equation. Uh, Darling's going to be here. Uh, will he be? Uh, will he be a one A one B to borrow from Joe Obvious? uh, or will he be more of the backup? Uh, if Mrazek continues to play that way, then they might be better off with Mrazek. Even if Scott Darling's ceiling, on a trip Tracy, like to talk about Scott Darling's ceiling being higher. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not w- sure it is. Yeah, but- I would
1: love to see it just figure itself out in a definitive role, whatever right. it is. If it's if it's Mrazek as your number one and Darling as your number two, I'm fine with that. I don't care. So. You know, I've liked what I've seen from Mrazik. He doesn't seem to really get rattled. I think he plays a much smoother game, a much quieter game. And you can see it on some of those breakaways when, you know, especially when he hasn't seen any shots to start the game. But, you know, those are the moments where you can't freak out. Right. Right? You can't stab at stuff. You can't dive at stuff. And Mrazik seems to be able to handle those situations smoothly and a lot quieter than Darling does. So as long as it figures itself out, I don't really care what happens. I I don't I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, how do you feel about a situation where I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have if both goaltenders are playing well and you're sort of playing one, then playing another one. I, is that a good situation to have or no, not? I mean, I think it's
0: a great situation. If someone gets
1: hot, you you right. want to play them more, right? I mean,
0: I, I I'm I'm a fan of uh if if you have two goalies playing well then it gives you the option of alternating if you want, but if both goalies are playing well, I mean, you could play Marazic twice in a row, and then Scott, you get the third game. If Scott plays well, run him out there again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it gives you that option. There are very few teams that have that. Like, St. Louis sort of had it last year. Carter Hutton played better than Jake Allen, but Allen wasn't bad. Yeah. So they had that option last year, and Hutton ended up playing a lot. I don't believe he played as much as Allen, but it was fairly close. Uh, ultimately, I don't think that's ideal, and it's hard to get both goalies yeah. playing
1: well. Washington, you know, they had it, but they, they had the luxury of Holtby not really playing well. That's, that's to, right. To start. At Grubauer, so, so they were allowed to go, hey, and by the Grubauer, way, get out there.
0: Grubauer's not even the starter. I know, which in is crazy. In Colorado, Varlamov, uh, who I think still might lead the uh, the NHL in goaltender victories, uh, but look, as long as they've got one, it's sort of like uh, playing match play golf uh, in uh, in four ball. Ham and egg it. Mm-hmm. You know, Mrazik's playing well. Ride him. Oh, you get bad game, darling. It's your it's yeah. it's your crease. So it's a better problem to have than having two goalies who aren't good. Right, which could also happen. <laughs> Which we, we have could. to we have to allow for. Well, final thing we'll close on this. I don't mean to single out just one play, but the play Slavin Jacob Slavin made on the empty net goal against Detroit, where he won a board battle, yeah. stick handled around two players, yep. got into open ice and fed Martinuk. To me, it that epitomizes Jacob Slavin's ability as a defenseman. I've never seen a player, any player, as good with the puck with his stick as Slavin, without being fancy. Mm-hmm. It just happens that he just has the knack of moving the puck around you with his stick, and it just makes it look very, very calm and easy. Yeah, I mean Slavin Tremendous. with the
1: stick offensively and defensively, yeah. is amazing what he what he's able to do with it. You know, that was a great play. For, by him, um, he had ceiling. an offensive
0: move also that he ended up taking a shot off the far post. That was also an incredibly skilled offensive play with his stick. As good as that
1: play was, I still I don't think it's the best play I've seen from him this year. The the, the play that he made on a breakaway when someone got behind him <laughs> and he dove from behind the player and threw his stick out in front of him and swiped the puck away was probably the best play that I've seen him make. Albeit because of a mistake he made. <laughs> Right, he's got good recovery speed. But, he's like Daryl Green, but I mean, he's insane with that. Yeah, I mean, he's insane. He almost did it again uh, on another game, I think, uh, on an empty net situation where it kind of got behind him, and he was almost able to save it, but he didn't. But I mean, he's been a tremendous player for them. Probably the best all around player they've had. I agree. All year long, I would say. You know, he's a minus player, which it, is crazy. But I mean, his shows minutes. You this, I'm sure
0: the deception of plus minus. Yeah.
1: And I'm, he's playing hella minutes, too. So he's and he's playing against best, you know, top Always. lineups all the time. So you know, you take all that stuff sort of with a grain of salt. But
0: all in all, five, three, and one—not bad. A Pretty good start no, to the uh, to the year.
1: I'd say a very good
0: start. Yeah. Uh, San Jose on Friday, the Islanders on Sunday, and then Boston on Tuesday. The next three games. A combined record of 13, 9, and 3. So, essentially, taken as a whole, basically, that's what Carolina is. Basically the same uh, type of thing. San Jose got off to a little slow start, but they've won three in a row. Uh, Boston is Boston's really good. Yeah. Boston's really good. Uh, and uh, the goaltending for them can be uh, spectacular. Uh, Alec Campbell, this has been fun, as always. I'll probably uh, see you Friday night. At PNC Arena. I'm sure you will. Uh, Can't wait. There you go. This has I'll been Snack Parfait waiting for you. The Kane's Corner Podcast. Uh, well, I'll be there before you will. True. I'll have one waiting for you. Uh, Canes Corner Podcast. Bye. That's- this week's Canes Corner with Adam Gold. Download or subscribe to our podcast every Monday during the Carolina Hurricane season in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen at WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. And don't forget, for the latest Canes coverage, log on to WRALsportsfan.com. Every game on the Canes Radio flagship, 99 99.9 The Fan. <laughs>